Hey everyone, this is Neha and welcome to the fourth episode of Finbrew. We are continuing our discussion on the crypto space and today we are going to be talking about central bank digital currencies or CBDCs or as you might have recently heard, a digital currency. Yes, India announced plans to launch a CBDC by 2023 in the budget that was presented on 1st Feb. So I think we need to talk about this. I have here with me Rian, who is a software developer and writer who has been active in the crypto space for the last eight years. She is the author of The Cryptocurrency Revolution, in which she devotes a chapter to CBDCs. Hey, Rian, thank you for coming on the show to give us some insight on CBDCs today. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm especially pleased to be asked to talk about this particular topic as things are starting to move very fast in different countries around the world. And I think it's really important for people to understand something that's probably going to impact them in their daily lives. I totally agree with you, Rianne. With India planning to launch its own digital currency, I'm sure we have a lot of questions about what this means and um, how it will impact our lives. I think a good starting point would be to get an understanding of how the current financial systems work so that we can get some context on CBDCs. Well, it's, um, it's a big topic, but I suppose it's one of the successes of the current financial system that in some ways we don't have to think about it at all. So when you go to a store or buy something on Flipkart, you're either spending physical cash or making a digital payment from your bank account into someone else's bank account. Either way, there's a bank involved at some point. And if you want to save money, then you can have a separate savings account. That's not to say the bank holds physical notes and coins on your behalf, of course. It doesn't quite work like that. And of course, every time you spend money, the bank does not have to make the transfer to the other bank immediately. Your transaction ends up getting bundled up with everyone else's, and then the banks settle with each other overnight. And then if you make an international payment, your bank has to go through the whole process of settling with a foreign bank all of which can take time and be quite expensive as every bank needs to run its own computer systems and, of course, employ people to run them. Wow, this sounds quite involved and complex. I mean, we take so many things for granted that we don't even realize this. I assume um, this doesn't happen all for free. So uh, how do we as consumers pay, so to speak, of such services? Well, it varies country by country. Um, I'm based in the UK, so I don't know what the situation is in India. But in the US, for example, it's quite difficult to find a bank that doesn't charge an annual or a monthly fee to cover the costs of running your checking account. In Germany also, many banks charge a fee simply for having an account, although there are others like Commerce Bank that are still free. So in the UK, it's less common for banks to charge fees just for having an account, but then um, they'll charge for lots of other services, like processing particular sorts of payments, and they kind of encourage you to take out loans or insurance with them so they can bundle products together and charge you a premium rate and make money that way. Although, you know, I do remember when I was living in the UK as a student, um, when I had to open a bank account, they charged uh, six pounds a month to keep that bank account open. So I don't know if that's still there, but I remember that one. And I guess, like you said, um, also a lot of service fees uh, for me to make any kind of transaction. 
For India, it is a little more complex as there are um, many different financial bands. So catering to all is not as straightforward. Not all banks provide for every type of person or family. And that means, especially in the lower income groups, you can be restricted by what the government pr provides for you. Now that we have set the stage a bit, what are CBDCs? Okay, so CBDC stands for, as we said, Central Bank Digital Currency. And a Central Bank Digital Currency works more like a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin than the sort of payment systems we have now. So if you make a payment with a CBDC, it doesn't have to go through a bank. Instead, most countries have a central bank. So, for example, in the UK, we have the Bank of England. In India, the central bank is the Reserve Bank of India. In China, it's the People's Bank of China and so on. Um, a CBDC is directly issued and administered by the central bank. And the mechanism for making money transfers is an automated distributed ledger, which would be under the control of the central bank. So this would mean that if person A pays person B or shop B or whatever, the central bank would allocate the funds and keep a record of the transaction. So essentially, we are cutting out layers of middlemen and simplifying the process. Would you say that this makes the process cheaper? And wouldn't this cause some resistance by the banks? I know some countries are further along this process than India is. So what um, is the sentiment there by the banks? Again, like my last answer, really, it varies country by country. Some CBDCs are designed to use bank-provided apps and payment systems, while others will initially be in competition with the existing banking system. So one of the big fears for banks is that if there's a financial crisis in a country where citizens have the option to use either a CBDC or a traditional bank account, everyone will move their deposits out of the smaller banks because they figure the government bank is safer. So far, there's been no big pushback from the banks in China, but that's partly because there are already so many different payment systems in competition with them there. Okay, okay, I understand. So um, how is this different from the digital money we already use, like uh, Google Pay or Paytm in India? So that's a really interesting question. Mostly the changes that happen are changes behind the scenes. It's not like much would change in your personal experience of what happens when you make a payment. So you'd have an app on your phone, just like Google Pay, except that instead of when you buy something in a store, the payment's currently made by your bank to the store's bank, and it's bundled up with a whole load of other payments and settled at the same time. It looks like your account is being debited instantly and the store's account is being credited instantly. But in fact, this is each of the banks making their own internal transactions and the actual settlement doesn't happen to later. I know it's a bit complicated, but bear with me. Um, the difference with a CBDC is that the payment is automatically made from your account to the recipient's account. This is all done in real time with no banks being involved. But um, obviously, the end user isn't going to see a whole load of difference. Well, not straight away anyway. OK, so um, it seems like consumers won't really feel any difference. And uh, you say that they won't see it straight away. But can you highlight some that we, we might see in the future in that case? Yeah, so um, exactly. This is the thing. And this is why I think people it's important that people um, understand a bit about what's happening here. Um, so it's been interesting reading the accounts of people who've already been using CBDC wallets in other countries, especially in China 
where billions of dollars worth of digital yuan have already been spent using the app. Um, of course, it's also designed to promote digital inclusion in payments. So what this means is private banks will generally give accounts to people who are rich enough to be profitable, whereas a central bank wallet can be used by everyone. And thus it can make digital payments a reality for people who wouldn't otherwise have access to banking apps or Google Pay, etc. So that's a big change. The interesting thing in China, the initial rollout, because it's been done in conjunction with major banks and payment providers, in that case, these users aren't noticing much change at all. But the real difference will happen if central banks decide in the end to issue their own wallets directly to everyone. And if the end consumers don't get the chance in that case to choose what bank or app they want to use. It also raises the question of what happens in the end if retail banks disappear entirely from the payment process. What new business are they going to discover to replace their retail banking activities so they can continue as businesses? So in the end, um, I feel that it leads to less choice and market competition for ordinary people if it goes down that route. Okay, I can relate this to uh, what's happening in India a bit. So in 2014, the Indian government launched a program to better financial inclusion in the country. And although this did bring on board a lot of the unbanked population, the accounts are not as actively used. It's hard to pinpoint um, exactly why that might be the case, but a lot of it is due to the ease of using cash over banking services, which honestly can be quite alien to people who have never dealt with something like this. You know, there's so many different types of accounts and services, etc. Um, so it, you know, it's confusing, and you, you even have the cards, um, you know, that you have to deal with, which is uh, complex for someone who's only used to dealing with cash in their hand. Along with that, the demonetization a few years ago and the pandemic caused another huge push for financial inclusion. But we still have an unbanked population of approximately um, 20%, which is a lot for a country of 1.4 billion people. So I see that there's still a significant gap that needs to be filled. And I wonder if C CBDCs can provide that next push because it's almost like digital cash on your app. And it might be easier to grasp uh, conceptually, um, like you said, for the ordinary people. So now what's the catch here? Because there's always going to be one, isn't there? You've raised some interesting points. And this issue of um, helping people who are unbanked access digital payments is a really important one. But yes, there is always a catch. And in this case, there's more than one. So the first one is around privacy. So we're used to the idea of having some kind of privacy when you spend your money. That might seem a really funny thing to say if you've got a bank account, given that your bank um, obviously knows how much you spend on particular items or that if you walk into a store, even with cash, other people can see you buying things. But the way things are at the moment, People don't build up a big detailed picture of what you are like as a person and what you spend your money on. Um, on the other hand, a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, means that the government has real-time access to exactly what you're buying and where you're going. So assuming that you're a totally law-abiding person, there are still some things that you may prefer to keep to yourself. Like you might not want your health insurer to know that you've bought sweet food or snack food four times in a day. Or, and there may even be a more sinister side to this. In a country where the government might not read 
um, might not want you to read particular things or to give money to certain particular causes, these payments could theoretically be blocked. And another thing to consider is that if the central bank instead of retail banks is in charge of payments, this makes it very easy for the government to increase or contract the money supply like if they want to give the economy a boost, as they've tried in the past in Japan, by giving people tax rebates or even giveaways to spend, they could stop you from saving that money by giving it an expiry date. It's moving the idea of money further away from something that you have control of once you've earned it. Wow, that's, uh, that's a bit unnerving. Um, like you said, even if you are a law-abiding citizen, you might indulge in a few snacks one day, but you don't want your insurer increasing your premium for something like that, right? Like some kind of potential diabetes risk or some such clause. And what happens if I'm buying medicines on behalf of a parent or grandparent? Then will my profile for the insurer change? Um, so I, I, another concern that I have um, is that I've heard that a lot, of other, a lot of countries or even an employer who's giving you your paycheck can restrict what and how you spend that money on and even potentially put, um, you know, a timeline that you have to spend it within a certain period. Um, do you think you can elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, sure. And I particularly like those examples that you give. It shows how... Um, even if you're a completely law-abiding person, there might be things that you don't necessarily want other people to know um, that you're spending money on. So it's really interesting. So the thing is that, in my opinion, it's not what people or central banks are doing now and saying now that's the problem. It's what the technology might allow them to do in the future. So in China, for example, officials are talking about controlled anonymity, um, which is the phrase they use. And that suggests that they don't at the moment plan to use this data for the purposes I just talked about. But the point is that once the government has all this data and they're able to see in microscopic detail exactly what everyone is spending their money on, it opens the door to this kind of joined up data sharing the case where health insurers or employers might be able to access information about your spending habits. Well, that's not happening now, but it's exactly the kind of reason we should be cautious about this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. You know, um, having all this data in their hands, yes, it might be anonymous now, but we don't know how it's going to be used in the future. So you bring up a really good potential concern and something that you know, we should keep in mind when we go down this road. So uh, just lastly, last question, won't take up much more of your time here. Um, but do you have any other thoughts on where the future might take us with CBDCs? Oh, it's such an interesting question, because this thing <laughs> could go in many different directions. So it's not to say that any of the things I've described will happen, either in Britain or in India, anytime soon. We're not talking about something that's going to happen overnight. And some countries are taking a much more cautious approach to the whole idea. But what we do know is that with pilot schemes well underway in countries as diverse as China, Canada, South Africa, Saudi Arabia, and the e-Naira already live in Nigeria and the sand dollar live in the Bahamas, this is an idea that's not just theoretical and which will probably be here sooner than we all think. So I think it's really important that people gain some kind of understanding 
of what the situation is. Wow, this is absolutely great. Um, it's so fascinating, the things that we are seeing today and the influence that technology is having in the financial space. Um, it's, it's such a difference of when we were growing up and from, you know, we never expected um, these technology to sort of uh, seep into such different parts of our lives and affect us on such a day-to-day basis. I really do wonder what this landscape might look like in, say, 10 years. Um, listeners, this might be a fun exercise for you guys. Do uh, join in the conversation and leave us your comments on how you think uh, CBDCs will affect us and where India or the world might be as this uh, technology progresses. Anyways, thank you so much for your time, Brianne. I really appreciate it and hope to have you again in the future for some more interesting chat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the podcast so much, Neha. Such an interesting conversation. And yes, look forward to chatting again soon. So, Abhishek, the budget made some major announcement about crypto. This is exciting. We are seeing history in the making for this technology. So, anyways, my personal enthusiasm aside, could you highlight some of the key points? Yes. Hi, Nea. So, I think uh, two points which is of interest to us. Firstly, I think the finance minister said that India would have its own digital currency by the next fiscal year. Uh, we'll have to await more details on that. But, uh, you know, as far as CBDCs are concerned, we have it now in India. The second one and what uh, uh, surprised me most here was that the finance minister spoke about digital assets and taxing the transfer of digital assets. Yes, it is taxed at 30 percent. But what is of interest is that now the government has officially recognized uh, crypto in its legal form. Um, so I guess it's a step in the right direction as far as uh, crypto enthusiasts are concerned. Uh, yes, there were some riders associated with it that there, there'll be a 1% TDS cut and uh, we cannot offset uh, the losses against the gains on uh, crypto, etc. But I think uh, overall, uh, I think it was uh, positive news for crypto enthusiasts. So I think this means that India might have legalized crypto, um, which is quite interesting. But that aside, many things are still unclear and will require further research on the fine print of the budget. So let's see how that goes uh, in, the new, in the near future. So guys, uh, what's happening on Abhishek's portfolio? Suneha, honestly, I don't track my portfolio much, but, uh, you know, I've been reading about the fall. uh, So I opened my portfolio a couple of days back. And yes, we had bought four coins and uh, three of them were down anywhere between uh, 25 to 50 percent. Cardano, Ethereum and Bitcoin. Uh, Phantom was uh, uh, still up. But I mean, I'm not faced by that, but maybe Raddy could tell us uh, the reason uh, for this fall. Yeah, hi Abhishek, hi Neha. Yeah, it seems like we bought on the on the way down. Um, there there was a, a big correction in the market, uh, and it's due to a lot of things. Most of them linked to the U.S. economy. the The Fed had announced uh, in early January that it was going to start tapering the economy. There is news of rate hikes coming. All of these things affect crypto and it is a a risky asset. So when there's uncertainty in the market, 
there seems to be a risk of um, scenario where people people sell riskier assets because they're afraid they're going to react. This to me doesn't doesn't really affect the long term views on crypto. It's uh, in my opinion, it's it's always a good time to buy if you're buying and if you're if you're investing because. Uh, a year from now, we're probably be going. We're going to be up. So yes, these corrections do happen. It's unfortunate that we missed it, but you know, right now everything is quite cheap. It's at a discount, and it's a good time to buy. And I'm gonna suggest uh, for Abhishek to um, to invest in two other coins today uh, that I think uh, have a lot of uh, a lot of upside and. Um, I think those those two coins, one being Solana and the other one being Luna, Terra Luna, which is a decentralized stable coin, and Solana is uh, a competitor to Ethereum. Uh, it's it's a lot faster than Ethereum. It is cheaper than Ethereum in terms of gas fees, and they have a lot of upside because they've taken they've taken quite a bit of a fall in the recent correction. And it seems a good time to to get into those coins. All right, Raddy, I'll add these two coins to my portfolio. And thanks once again, you know, for helping me, um, uh, sorting me out with my portfolio. Thanks, guys, for the update on Abhishek's portfolio. And as always, if you have comments, questions or any other feedback, please do share it with us on our, in our comment section below. And see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening.